Well, we're coming to the end of our Advent series. This is the last Sunday of Advent before Christmas. Um, and we are finishing a series on Christ as the Good Shepherd. And we've been looking at it from the Old Testament, from Ezekiel chapter 34. We've been looking at it from Isaiah chapter 40. We then started to look at it from the perspective of the shepherds there in the hills of Bethlehem last week as the angels of heaven came and declared that good news. And now we're going to that place of birth there, right there in the manger scene. Um, and we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke, the very, the very small section from verses 15 to 21 in chapter 2. And then we're also going to be looking at John chapter 10, which reflects on Christ as the Good Shepherd. So those two passages we're going to try to weave together, Luke chapter 2, verses 15 to 21, and then John chapter 10, verses 7 to 11. Um, and so with that, let me go ahead and read God's Word. Uh, you can follow along in your bulletins or your Bibles. And I would just encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, um, I, I'll, be I'll, I'll be addressing a few other verses from that John 10 passage. We're only reading a couple of the verses, but uh, there's more surrounding it that I'm going to bring out. I'll read those. But if you have your Bibles with you, it might be helpful to follow along. But here we hear God's Word, Luke chapter 2. Uh, verses 15 to 21. Remember, the angels have just declared glory to God in the highest. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to, over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. I'm making sure my mic is on. But see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And the Gospel of John, chapter 10, starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life, and life abundantly. But I am, the good, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just again ask that you would be with us by your Spirit. Help us to understand your word this afternoon. Impress it in our hearts and help us to live in light of it. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It has been my joy and privilege, one of my favorite parts of being a pastor, uh, over the years to visit families who have had babies. Whether it's in the hospital or whether it's in the home, I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite things. And yet, it's also something that is a little bit fear-inducing in me. Maybe fear isn't the right word. It creates a little bit of apprehension. 
uh, on my part. I feel a bit like when I enter into uh, the hospital room or I come over to a house with a newborn baby, I feel a little bit like an intruder, right? Like I'm entering into this sacred abode that I'm not a really a part of. And so I, I, I'm a little delicate. I try to carefully communicate with the, with the mom and the dad to make sure I come at the appropriate time and I don't overstay my welcome. And uh, Nevertheless, I love it. It's this great moment. It's a delicate matter, but as a pastor, I want to praise and thank God for the little life. It's just a, it's just a joy to be able to do that. So can you imagine being Mary and Joseph in that moment of intimacy with their newborn baby, not only any baby, but of course, the consolation of Israel, Jesus, the Savior, and there they are, and all of a sudden, a band of shepherds, we looked at the shepherds last week, they weren't exactly, uh, you know, warm and fuzzy guys, they were kind of rough and ready, they were they were just coming from the fields, watching their flocks, and here they are entering into uh, this we don't really know. It's a place where the animals fed. It could have been in the inside of a home on the, on the bottommost floor. It could have been out in a cave. Well, but wherever it was, this was a place for animals to eat. But here, a whole host or a group of shepherds comes and intrudes upon this intimate setting. And you can imagine the, the, the shepherds, on the other hand. So it's one thing to be Mary and Joseph. It's another thing to be the shepherds. You can imagine them sort of creeping up. All right, you go in and just kind of See how it goes. No, I'm not going in. You go in. (laughs) You know, you can imagine. Well, whatever the scene was like, it was a surreal moment for all who were involved. Um, Here were a bunch of random shepherds coming from the surrounding hillsides. And Mary and Joseph, who were from out of town, and a little baby who was just born in this stable. That's a surreal picture. And it seems very unlikely that this would ever happen. Yet it was there. The shepherds, Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. That's it. Much to the, you know, we have all these beautiful manger scenes that we have put around our house, maybe. Um, and it includes those magi from the east. They don't come for a while <laughs> in, in, in the in scriptural accounts. Just so you know, it wasn't, they weren't there. It was just the shepherds. Well, this was an amazing moment. Mary, Joseph, Jesus, these shepherds. It was the first gathering of worshipers around the Messiah. And as strange and surreal as it must have been for all involved, it was the design of God. Why the shepherds? Well, we've been looking at this all along. It is because this baby, this Messiah, he was the good shepherd. He was the promised shepherd from that glorious Ezekiel passage where God said, I will be their shepherd and I'm going to send my servant David to shepherd my flock. And here he is. And so it's natural that the shepherds would come and worship him. Well, this afternoon, I want to bring into focus this good shepherd that we might, like these shepherds who went and saw everything that the angel had said was going to be there, They left and they told everyone about it and they left glorifying and praising God. And that's my hope for us. That as we sort of look at Jesus as the good shepherd, the one who has come, that we would leave today glorifying God, rejoicing in him. This is our call. Come, 
Let us glorify and praise the good shepherd who has come. We'll look at this good shepherd in three parts. We want to look at the door. So he calls himself not just the good shepherd, but he calls himself the door of the sheepfold. Secondly, I want to look at the goodness of the shepherd. What does it mean that he is the good shepherd? And then finally, I want us to look at the call of the shepherd. The call of the shepherd. So those are the three places we're going. And much of this is going to be taken uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We'll come back around to, in the very last piece, in the call of the shepherd, to look at these shepherds coming to visit. Um, But we're going to start in chapter 10. So in this section, Jesus says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, this is a little bit confusing because in the very first few verses of this chapter, he was talking or he was painting a picture of almost like a little parable of the nature of a shepherd. He's saying, now, this is what the shepherd does. The shepherd enters through the gate. The shepherd speaks and the sheep hear his voice and they know him. Not so the thief or the robber. They come in through the back way. They climb over the over the fence, so to speak, and they try to call the sheep out to them, but the sheep don't hear their voice. So there's this sort of interchange between the shepherd and, or this this contrast between the shepherd and the thief or the robber. But now he shifts the imagery. It's a mixed metaphor, if you will. He says, okay, set aside this idea of the shepherd for a moment. I want to talk about being the door. He says, I am the door, or I am the gate of the sheep. It's interesting. Of course, these two ideas are connected, right? They're connected by theme. You have the shepherd and you have the gate. They're connected by themes. And some commentators suggest or they say that Near Eastern shepherds might have out in the fields, they'd create these stone enclosures or folds for the sheep. And at night, those sheep would go into these stone enclosures. And because there was no formal gate, they would just simply lie down in front of that space. It's possible. I'm not totally sure. Um, Commentators are kind of torn on whether that's what Jesus is doing here. Because in the very first part, he says, the shepherd goes in and out of the gate. So now he's saying... The shepherd goes in and out of the gate, and there's a gatekeeper who opens the gate, and now Jesus is saying, but I'm the gate. That's kind of confusing. It's a change in metaphor. But what does he mean that he says, when he says, I am the gate? I am the door. Uh, there's a couple things that I want to note about this. I want us to think about. The first thing that I want us to look at is he says, I am. That may be the, the most significant thing that Jesus says in this text. He says, I am the door. He says, I am the good shepherd. But when he says, I am, our spidey senses should get a little bit going. We should start thinking, whoa, those are big words. Throughout the Gospel of John, there are seven statements that Jesus makes that he says, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then here, I am the gate or the, or the door. And I am the good shepherd. What is he saying when he says that word, I am? Well, he's 
creating great angst amongst the Pharisees and the religious leaders because they understand what he's saying. He is declaring himself to be akin to Yahweh. In fact, he's saying, I am Yahweh. John starts with that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, I am. Jesus is saying here in this passage, he's indicating that he is the divine gate, if you will. The divine door. God himself There is no other door. And what does he mean by that? He said, there's no other way except through me. There's no other other gate that can be opened up. Only through God himself can you enter into relationship and into the presence of God. There is no pathway other than that. No place to find security. No way in. And no way to find life and provision. Outside of the sheepfold, there are Thieves and robbers, those who come to seek and destroy. If you'll remember back to our study of Ezekiel chapter 34, it was this promise of consolation of the coming shepherd was in contrast to the shepherds of Israel who had devoured the sheep, who had clothed themselves in the wool of the sheep, who had taken from the sheep to feed themselves. why the Lord here declares in that passage that he himself, God himself, would be their shepherd. Ezekiel 34. God himself would be their shepherd. And here, Jesus is saying, God himself is with you. And not only is he your shepherd, but he is the door, the gate in, the only way to God. But not just the door in, right? But the door out. But it's not out sort of out into, again, into the darkness, so to speak, but it's out into the green pastures. Through that gate, the sheep that belong to the Lord Jesus come into the presence and dwelling of God where there's security and and safety, and it goes out into following the good shepherd, into the provision of God, into the green pasture. We see that in our text. He will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus here is saying that he's not only come to shepherd his flock, but he's come as the way, as the divine door. And he'll pick this idea up in one of the other I am statements that I already mentioned later in the very end of the gospel in John chapter, towards the end of the gospel in John chapter 14, he'll say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as we celebrate Christmas, at least as a culture, right, outside the bounds of the church as a culture, I think we tend to lump it with other holidays. We actually sort of add a bunch of holidays together at this time of year of different religions, right? You have Hanukkah and Kwanzaa. There's just different religions that are uh, religious celebrations that go on around this time. We, We like it. We enjoy sort of the happy holidays feeling. But as we celebrate Christmas, what we are saying, we're not just celebrating some sentimental holiday that kind of fits in or is lumped together with all other holidays, 
But we are celebrating the coming of the great I am, the one who opened a way for broken sinners to enter into the very presence of God. One of the greatest complaints against Christian faith is this idea, the exclusivity of the gospel. Jesus is the only way? What about my my faithful Muslim friend? He or she is a good person, lives a morally upstanding life, very religious, very faithful, very sincere in their faith. You're saying that that's not a way to God? What about my, my Jewish friend? Follows the law to its letter, who, who has a relationship with God, who is sincere in his religiosity or her religiosity. What about my Buddhist friend on that path? Are you suggesting that Jesus is the only way to God? Maybe you're here this morning asking that question. The short answer is yes, and I'm not suggesting it. It's not a suggestion. I'm stating it. It's it's a fact. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But I want to suggest something to you. Yes, he is the exclusive way, but the exclusivity of Jesus is far more inclusive than all the religions of the world combined. What do I mean by that? Here's here's the key. Christ is the door through which any sinner can come into the presence of Of the living God. No matter their relative goodness, and what I mean by relative is God is infinitely good and holy and pure and righteous, and no one can approach God. God cannot dwell with sin, and yet here Jesus is saying, I'm the door for broken sinners to come into relationship with me, into relationship with my heavenly Father. You have access. The measure of goodness required to come to God is infinite. There's no relative moral goodness offered in any religion that measures up to that requirement. And you're saying, well, I don't know about that, Rob. Let me me suggest to you that I don't really need to prove the point. I think you and I know our hearts. I think you and I know that we don't even measure up to our own standard. I know I don't. As Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he says, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things that I want to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? We don't love our spouses as we ought. We don't love our parents as we ought. We don't love our children as we ought. We don't love our siblings as we ought. We don't love those who we are closest to, who we are in closest relationship with. We don't love them as we ought. Never mind those Frustrating bosses, co-workers, never mind that neighbor that's always encroaching on your yard. Never, never mind those that actually do hurt to you. I don't need to prove that our goodness is not good. Friends, Jesus offers himself as the way. 
the gate through which any sinner, meaning you and me, can enter into the very presence of God. Not because we deserve to enter, but because He is good. And this is my second point. This is the joy of knowing that He's the gate, that He's good, that He's infinitely good, because He is the good shepherd. And I want us to consider the goodness of the shepherd. In the text, the goodness of the shepherd is contrasted with the thief who only comes in to steal and to kill and destroy. Or later, he'll just contrast the good shepherd with the hired hand, the one who, as soon as a threat arrives, they're like, yep, I'm done, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a conscript. I don't have to die for this. I'm, I'm, I'm walking away. A good shepherd, on the other hand, comes to give life and life abundantly. One of the unfortunate images of Jesus, I think, is as a good shepherd, is that he is somehow weak. You know, I, I always think of, I don't even know if I've actually, I know I've seen pictures like this on, say, a wall in the Sunday school of a church. It's a very mild-mannered Jesus holding a lamb. And there is something to that, right? There's something to the fact that he's gentle and meek and that he comes alongside the broken and the wounded and he binds up their wounds and he carries them in his bosom. There's something to that, but there's also a problem with the picture. Because when we think of the good, goodness of the shepherd, we often think of it in terms of weakness. One commentator said, well, instead of thinking about the goodness of the shepherd in terms of weakness, think about it in terms of nobleness. The noble shepherd. Think about it in terms of King David, right? The, the picture of the shepherd that we have from the Old Testament. Here he was. He was the one who would go and defeat the lion, and he would defeat the bear. He would, he would save and protect his sheep. He was the one who, as the shepherd of Israel, would go out and defeat God's people's enemies. He would go out in battle. He's not weak. both in the door picture and in this picture of the good shepherd, it's not just a picture of being brought into the security of the fold, but it's also a picture of being led out into abundance. This is, this is part of the picture of his goodness. So he's the noble king who defends and secures and protects the sheep, but he's also the, 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 the shepherd that goes out and he leads and he guides and he cares for the sheep as he leads them to green pastures. One of the allures of the voice of the thief and the robber is the promise of better pastures. I just want to notice here in, in our text, in verse 8, it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then in verse, I'm sorry, and that's verse 9, but in verse 8, it says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. The shepherd knows the sheep. This is picked up earlier in our text. If you have a Bible with me, with you, you can follow along. But in verses uh, 4 and 5, it says, uh, in verses 3 and 4, it says, To him the gatekeeper keeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. But a stranger, they'll not follow. 
but they'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. Now, it's kind of an interesting picture. The sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd, and they don't listen to the other shepherds. And this is true. We know when Christ speaks, when when we read his word, that he's calling us, that we're to follow him. And we know when we hear the voices of the world telling us, ah, we have better pastures. We have better things to offer than Jesus. We have more immediate pleasures that you can enjoy if you just come and you can follow me. We know that's not the shepherd's voice. Nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, oftentimes, we still follow those voices. The world promises immediate gratification of our desires. It leads us out into what appears to be life. The world promises us satisfaction and life, but does it deliver? I don't know what your experience is, but every time I've chased after the world and I've been left longing for more. I go after it more and it just says, go for more. It doesn't deliver. And to the contrary, we find ourselves stuck in a thicket. To take that sheep imagery, we get stuck in the thicket or we get stuck on a barren land where there is no food. We're caught in sin or we're hungry and longing for real lasting food that satisfies The hymn writer so eloquently said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's us. That's me. That's being a sheep. But here's the good news. We have a good shepherd. The one who promises life and life abundantly. And the goodness of the shepherd is most clearly seen in his laying down of his life for us. His laying down of his life. The goodness of the shepherd is most eminently seen in his willingness to die for us sheep. Wandering, wayward sheep. Notice that it doesn't say he's willing to risk his life for us. I think many good shepherds, in the relative term, would be willing to fend off whatever animal might come or whatever robber might be there. They, they might go to battle for the sake of the sheep, for their, for their livelihood. They would risk their life for the sheep. But here in this chapter, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He gives his life up that we might have life. This goes well beyond any shepherd in the world, Right? You know, it might happen. Let's just say it might happen that a shepherd gives up its life by mistake, right? He's risking his life. He's trying to rescue a sheep. And in the process of rescuing the sheep, he loses his life. Um, What happens to the sheep? Hey, he's in worse danger now than he was before because now there's no shepherd to save him. Only the good shepherd can give up his life to secure life for us. Because only the good shepherd has the power of life. He's the only one that is able to be raised to new life. He's the only one that can break the power of death and sin. And his giving up of his life began 
on that night in Bethlehem when the Lord of glory stooped. Rather than clinging tightly to that equality with God that he had in heaven, he stooped. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians 2 goes on and says, he emptied himself. Charles Wesley picks this idea up in his great carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's a few lines in there that just sort of resonate with this idea. He says, first, Christ by highest heaven adored. He is there sitting with the the heavenly Father at his right hand, enjoying all the glory of heaven. And yet it says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Or later in the hymn, pleased as man with men to dwell. Or later, mild, he lays his glory by. Why? Born that men no more may die. He veiled himself in flesh in order to lay his life down for you and me. And in doing so, he provides abundant life. As physical creatures, we almost always think of life in material terms. In fact, in just a few days, you have Christmas coming, right? I expect, kids, that you've already planned and thought about what presents you'd like. Maybe you've told your parents. And my guess is you expect at least one present, at least one present maybe, for you under that tree. These physical gifts, we use them because we're physical creatures and we want to sort of find a way to physically express that great gift that God gives to us in the Lord Jesus, that gift of life. And the only way we know how to do it is by handing out material items, right? To, to say, this is just a small token to show the wondrous gift of Jesus. By the way, I'm, I'm still the earliest riser in my family on Christmas morning, eager, eagerly looking forward to my stocking being stuffed full of treats. I am by far the biggest kid in the house. Well, no, not quite. There's one who's maybe just a little bit bigger of a kid. Maybe. See, one of the challenges that we often have with gifts of life from the Good Shepherd is that it's sometimes hard for us to perceive. Sometimes we see more clearly God's provision of life now, right? Uh, We sometimes see, okay, God has provided me a family and a home and all the, the things that go along with that. And I understand that, the material things of the world. But the life that Jesus gives to us, the, the abundant life that the Good Shepherd provides for us, is much deeper, more satisfying. And despite the sorrow and grief that attend to our world, God even uses that to show us the abundance of his goodness as we look forward, as we look forward through the sorrow and grief and brokenness of our world to the fullness of his revelation, to our being resurrected physically and seeing our Lord physically present with him, standing in glory and saying, here is my Savior, my Shepherd, my Lord, and he is mine and I am his. He's good. 
because he brings us into relationship with himself. The good shepherd calls to his sheep and he says, come, follow me, find life, have it abundantly, enter through the gate. And this brings me to my final point and conclusion, the voice of the shepherd. The last thing I want us to consider this afternoon is the call of the good shepherd. Throughout, the, throughout this section of John 10, throughout John 10 and the, this, uh, the good shepherd passage, there's a theme that is reiterated and expounded over and over again. And it's this idea that the shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd. The shepherd calls the sheep and the sheep hear his voice and they respond and they follow John 10, 3 to 4 says it this way, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Later in verses 14 and 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Now, if we go back to Luke 2, we see those shepherds in Bethlehem The angel had spoken, said, go to Bethlehem, go, and there'll be a baby, and he'll be lying in a manger. The angels spoke these words of the Lord, and it says, when the angels went away, verse 15, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us, which the Lord made known to us. They didn't wait around. They made haste. They didn't question the angels. What did they do? They heard the voice of the shepherd and they went. The voice of the shepherd threw those angels and they followed. And there they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger just as it had been told to them. I just want to note a few things as we close. Things for us to consider about heeding the voice of the good shepherd. First thing I just want to note is that the shepherd knows the sheep, and the sheep know the shepherd. If I had all the time in the world, which I don't, I'd go through Scripture and show us how this idea, this concept of knowing is seen throughout Scripture. There's a tagline with regard to the covenant relationship that God has with his people that says, they will be my people, and I will be their God. That tagline is used throughout Scripture to say, even though they're stiff-necked, even though they're sinners, even though they break covenant with me, I will be their God. I will carry them on eagles' wings because I know them. They are mine. This is great comfort to us. To be known by the shepherd. That he knows us by name. That he calls to us. And why does he know you? Does he know you because you are a good, upstanding sheep? No, he loves you because he loves you. He knows you because he knew you before the very foundations of the world. He said, you are mine and I am yours. Second thing I want to note is that the sheep know the shepherd. They hear the voice. Friends, if you're here this morning, and this is Christmas, of course, right? This is a time where... People, you might be here just once a year, maybe. This may be the the one time a year that you come in and you want to hear something uplifting. Here's the good news. The shepherd is calling you to come to him. 
that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to him. He's a good shepherd. He will care for you. He will draw you into himself. He will lay down his life for you and die for you. Heed the voice of the shepherd. Christian, if you're, you know the shepherd's voice, it's easy to hear the voice of the robbers and the thieves. They don't love you. They don't know you. They want to devour you. Heed the voice of the shepherd. Follow him. Third, the shepherd is calling you to go and be the voice of the Lord for others. We notice in our text, first, is that the, the, the shepherds are coming uh, from hearing the voice of the angels. The angel, the word angel, of course, is just the word messenger. They were messengers of the Lord. They were bringing great news, glad tidings to the, to the, to the shepherds there. They became the mouthpiece of God. They had the good news. And now the shepherds have the good news. They go, they see the baby, they see Mary and Joseph. And what do they do? They go and tell everyone what they've heard. They have the good news and they go and they share the good news. It says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. (laughs) The shepherds were out just declaring everything. And Mary has this wonder and awe and she's treasuring these things in her heart. But one of the interesting things about the Gospel of Luke is that this is really Mary's story, Mary's gospel. This is, this is Luke interviewing the mother of Jesus, getting all these details of all the treasure that Mary was storing away in her heart. She shares the good news here for us that we might believe and know. So what do you do with the good news? Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is born. Finally, This is our call. As you hear the voice of the shepherd calling you to himself, the good shepherd who lays his life down for us, give praise and glory and honor to the shepherd, to the door, the one through whom we have eternal life, the one who is good and who leads us in life and life abundantly the one who calls you to respond to him, sing praise and glory and honor to the good shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What good news. Let's pray.